Production. Recorded live. Whew. This has been a very interesting day, but I get to end my week the way that I always enjoy finishing off a week with my favorite Metrics Maven, Jumpin' Jimmy Coburn, Gemetrics, Gentleman Jim. Jimmy Jam, Mr. James Coburn, how are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, two things. One is we actually had some football, kind of, sort of, when the Arizona Cardinals faced their semi-rivals, the um, the uh, Dallas Cowboys. And I remember the first time I ever saw those two teams face each other, you it would, if not for the fact that they were playing outdoors, they were playing in Sun Devil Stadium back in those days, <laughs> you easily could have mistaken it for a Dallas game. Uh, there was a smattering of Arizona Cardinals fans. I, I don't think I'm being kind when I say smattering. And uh, some of the Arizona players were visibly upset by the fact that it was about 88% Dallas Cowboy fans in the stands uh, in that initial game that they played against the Cowboys. A little better now. A little better. A little, little bit. A little better. Kind of. So since we do a draft show, before we hit the Sun Belt, I will ask you a quick sort of post-draft question. Obviously, it's a extremely early preseason game, so no, you know, you shouldn't take too much away or attribute too much to anything that you saw or witnessed, but... With having that having been said, was there anything that you noticed, positive or negative, from any of the, the rookies that stuck with you or made an impression on you? Well, DBs look good. Uh, you know, Chidobi Awuzie. Yes, I felt very good about decent. how high I was on Chidobi Awuzie because he looked yeah like himself. Um, Oda Baker had a couple plays here and there that people highlighted. Um, in terms of like highlights, they literally highlighted them into into highlights. Uh, and then uh, I don't think there's anybody else. I haven't got a chance to actually. Since it's the only football, that's the thing about the first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game. People hate it, but like it's it's the one, it's the first game of like football. It's not real football, but close enough to it. Yep. So it's like watching a rehearsal, kind of, you know. Um, which is interesting, you know, so I, and also some of these people are fighting for their jobs, literally. Um, it is designed as one player stated, you know, mostly on defense, they just mostly run man with a single high safety. And that's just because they're trying to figure out who can cover and who can't cover, which makes sense. If you're looking for the secret to make Blaine Gabbert look like a guy that is a legitimate top tier quarterback. Just have two coverages all night long, and he will kill you. Yeah, make him play man coverage consistently, and he'll 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 uh he'll dice you up. Yeah, so like there's there's uh, interesting stuff like that. The one thing I haven't done, which it's one of those things where I I almost consistently say, you know what, I don't want to do this because that seems like a waste of time. The data <laughs> guy. 
and then I do it, and then I actually find something interesting with it. I wanted to actually look at preseason data, like gather all the preseason data, like all of it, and then see if there's anything to it specifically. Um, I didn't have I didn't have enough time to do that this year, but that is something I've always wanted to do uh, because. As much, and again, it may not reveal anything at all. It may prove the point that, well, preseason data is, you know, there's too small of a sample size, all that kind of stuff. But Little competition, again, these are guys right. who aren't even going to play during the season, blah, blah, right. blah. Yeah, all that stuff, which I get. But you don't know until you test it. Yep. You know, I mean, people told me defensive market share doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. And now everybody's fighting it. <laughs> Team doesn't matter, you know, and, and yet nobody tests it ever. Right. So and until it gets tested, you know, like that's my big thing. Until it actually gets tested, then I'm I'm, I'm going to try to look into it is all I'm trying to say. Like arm length at running back. I'm like arm length at running back. Come on. I, ain't gonna I remember find... when you said yourself – that you didn't think you were going to get anything from it, but then the more you delved and dug, the more you kept thinking, hmm, there seems to be something to this. Something weird here, yeah. Like, there's only two running backs with below 31-inch arm length to become high-quality NFL players. It could have just been the fact that it was a – it's not a semi – it's not a small – again, I'm dealing now with data going back to 1969, so – as much as data going back to 1999 is a pretty large sample size to most people, I'm just saying that 1969 is just a little bit more stable of a data set, if you will, because you can account for more variables. Like um, right. But, yeah, with, with arm length, it's more so to 1999, which is still pretty dang far back, you know, in terms of um, data and includes a pretty large enough sample of things. It's just it is something to say, well, you know, you never know kind of thing. Maybe it doesn't matter at all, but it, it was just something that kind of struck me as interesting to kind of look into more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I haven't done that with preseason stuff, but cause that's the main thing about preseason. People hate preseason because it's not real football. Uh, players get injured, and they make a big deal about it, even though – if they get injured during preseason, they probably were going to get injured at some point during the season anyway. I mean, <laughs> I'm just being honest. I mean, if you get injured in preseason, then you were probably dealing with something like that throughout the year, and now it shows up. That's why there's all these sort of things that happen with guys getting injured at the very start of camp. These are guys that had injuries prior to camp, you know, that they were nursing and trying to, to – uh, you know, get back to health. Maybe they didn't have the sort of, uh, uh, you know, little uh, hydro chambers or whatever, heal or hyperbolic chambers and stuff. But, you know, they, they've had little things like this that they've had to deal, deal with. But, yeah, I mean, preseason I think is uh, interesting. It is a small sample size, but I do think that there might be something, has to be something that you could look at and kind of, site, I guess, in terms of how preseason might translate to the NFL. And maybe it's just one specific game more than others, but it would just be interesting to kind of look into that. Right. And if you do decide to do 
a data study on, on preseason football, one, let me know that you're doing it. Two, I would love to hear what you did and did not learn. And is there a threshold of performance, you know, that leads to having an actual, quote-unquote, real football career, <laughs> however you want to put it, you know, uh, being a 60-game starter or whatever it is? Is there something performance-wise, production-wise, that you saw consistently showing up for those guys that later did pan out versus those guys who did not? Now, people will say lots of things skew that data, and they'd be correct. I mean, certain teams be right. don't even let certain guys play at all at certain positions, so the guys that would be playing that position instead get, you know, a much larger share of reps than teams that are less risk-averse to putting their running back, wide receiver, starting whatever position out there. So, well, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. So, yes, let me know. <laughs> I guess that was all that to say that. And I guess now we can move on to the ever-popular Sun Belt. The Sun Belt is another sort of semi-catch-all conference. I don't know how better to describe it. There are teams that are, are natural fits in terms of, oh, well, that makes sense. They should be in the Sun Belt. And then there are some teams that are less natural in terms of their fit. Oh, that's a team that doesn't so much seem... So uh, amongst the teams that are sort of naturals or or clear, you don't have to imagine why they're in the Sun Belt, include obviously the Florida schools. Uh, if you're a Florida school and you're in the Sun Belt, well, what's, what could be more natural as God intends? There are some schools that are not in Florida or nowhere near Florida. They're nowhere near the sun, it would see, really. seem a little less like a natural fit. But let us let us begin. With the beginning. Uh, the Sun Belt itself exists because of uh, the need for some of those schools, some of whom used to be uh, independent, some of whom used to be uh, used to be at the conferences and got, I don't know how best to put it, uh, not expelled, but um, encouraged you know, shown the door, whatever term, uh, um, whatever term it is you use uh, for schools that used to be in a conference and then, you know, got... They got no yet. place else to go. They got no... Yes, there you go. They got no place else to go. And so now they come to, uh, I guess to some extent, a conference of last resort, a conference that still, nonetheless, produces... Some talent, uh, some guys who uh, – usually there will be some guy from South Alabama or some guy from uh, – who else? Another school that occasionally mm, flares Troy. Out. Troy, there you go. Troy usually has a, a guy or two. Troy's yeah. had guys go in the first round, come to think of it. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, they've got like, – Troy's had two first-rounders? They've had a lot. Now, that was – I mean, Troy's a little bit like uh, what's that one place? 
the Mac in that they had like all these NFL talent people, and now the NFL is like, yeah. But you know, it's it's a it's a place in Alabama. They have people. You know, yes, hopefully. Right. It's, right. it's still a place in Alabama, <laughs> right? You you can still hang your hat on the fact that you can't take that away from them. They are still in the state of Alabama, and they still get some players. Obviously, yeah. the, the most well known is Demarcus Ware, and then not long after that, they had OC Yamanura. OC Yamanura, yeah. Not, I mean, there are lots of much larger schools that wish they could say they've had that uh, amongst their, you know, edge rushers in the past 20, 20 yeah, I guess 20, a little over 20 years. Um, where yeah. was the class of, yeah, yeah, less, that's less than 20 years, right. Uh, that's pretty darn impressive. Uh, one guy who's almost certainly a lock to make the Hall of Fame and one guy who's more like the Hall of... Hall of Very Good. good. Right, the Hall of yeah. Very Good. Yeah. Uh, but yes, obviously Troy, like I said, is one of the more well-known schools in the conference, uh, at least in part due to that. Then we've got some schools that have worked their way up from FCS, like Appalachian State. We have Arkansas State, which is what we call a launching pad school. If you're looking to become the next Gus Malzahn or Hugh Freeze or there's someone I'm forgetting, but there's some other guy who's got a big job now who got his <clears throat> cut his teeth at Arkansas State. <laughs> Coastal Carolina is another move up from the FCS. Georgia Southern was at one point an FCS powerhouse. Uh, We want to go back to the uh, uh, Paul Johnson days. Uh, You've got Georgia State. Idaho is in its last year in the conference, I guess. Or they're sort of, I don't know, they're in a sort of a weird situation as they make their way down to FCS. Then you've got... uh, Louisiana, Monroe, no, wait, Louisiana, which Louisiana school is it? Is it Monroe? Is it, I wish they had just gone back to the old southeast, northwest. That just seems simpler, whatever it is. Uh, Louisiana, wherever the location it is. Then you've got New Mexico State, which is the sort of, you know, which one of these things doesn't belong here. Uh, South Alabama, Texas State, Troy, and yeah, Louisiana, Monroe, and Louisiana, what's the other one? Louisiana, the other place. Uh, Lafayette. Lafayette, thank you. There we go. Yeah, it's a French, French, Frenchy French. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so they now have 12 teams. They have a championship game, just like a big boy conference. Um, Troy and Appalachian State do not face each other for whatever reasons in the regular uh, season. Last year, Idaho and Troy both surprised, I'll, I'll speak for myself, surprised me in how well they did. Appalachian State, uh, gave Tennessee all it wanted. Georgia State should have won that game. They should have won that game. Yes, I agree. Uh, Georgia State threw a pretty scare, serious scare into Wisconsin. Uh, South Alabama actually did beat Mississippi State, and mm-hmm. uh, San Diego State stumbled against them and lost their chance to make a run at the New Year's Six. And Texas State, which didn't do a lot, uh, did manage to beat Mac. Champ, uh, Mac East champion Ohio, which kind of interesting. App State did beat Toledo um, in the in their bowl game. Troy beat uh, Ohio in their bowl game. Uh, Carlos State got rolled by Idaho. I mean that just defeated like soundly. I mean it's just, it's just shocking to see Idaho do that to anybody. They had a lot crazy. of talent. They had a lot of talent on that team. Yeah, it was, it's just weird. People, people ignored. <laughs> Ignored them. I mean, they had a lot of really athletic uh, 
defensive linemen, and you know they had a lot of a lot of things that right. are unusual. But, but once again, I'm not trying to be mean, but you just don't associate that with Idaho football guys no. who can do what those guys were doing to another pretty darn good football team. Like that just it was just odd to see that, and it wasn't terribly close. You know, that's the thing that just no. was compelling. Like, they are getting their butts handed to them by Idaho. So, good on you, Idaho. You know, you, you, sh- you sh- talk about people talk about, sh- you know, we shook up the world and stuff like that. Here's this school that has, you know, in its death throes of its FBS history, just putting it on people. That That's, you don't see that every day. Uh, so, yeah, that was a a momentous occasion. I think it's the term I'm looking for. The kind of thing you don't, like I said, you don't see every day, especially, like I said, Idaho. I mean, they, they've they had good years in the past, but, you know, usually pretty far in the past. So it was just fun to see them. And, of course, the Petrino brothers, whatever you want to say about them, they can coach football. You know, <laughs> you may not like everything about the various and sundry Petrinos, but they can coach some football. So, yes, uh, that is that was interesting to see, just the – how well that team showed up. Uh, you would not have known, like I said, that, you know, if someone, which one of these teams is headed for the FCS, you wouldn't have, that game would have not let you know which one of them was the team that was going to be down classified uh, based on that performance. So, yes, uh, getting to the conference itself in terms of who's there and what's there. Uh, the conference brings back almost all of its quarterbacks. I think only one school isn't bringing back its quarterback, which is pretty impre- – or something like that. Of the teams that – I think when these guys who played some, I think seven schools bring back the guy who was their primary starter, and I think only one school doesn't have a guy who's coming back who at least got some snaps. I think only one school is starting – you know, completely fresh, brand new with a guy who just has virtually no experience. So that's at least no experience with their team. So that's, you know, that potentially could be a portent of of good things coming down the pike for for the Sun Belt, at least at the quarterback position, which is a position that, you know, everybody stares at, you know, everyone pays so much attention. But we'll start with – We'll start with Louisiana Lafayette. Who do you like and why, and what do you expect from that team, from that school? Right. Uh, the Rage, yeah, the Raging. Yes, the Raging Cajuns. Cajuns, correct. Yeah, Raging Cajuns. <laughs> uh, yeah, when it comes to them, um, I think they have a couple DBs. I just need to double check to make sure that they're still there. Um, let's uh, let me see. Oh yeah, Tracy Walker and Travis uh, Crawford are kind of interesting. Uh, I think they bring uh, certain uh, maybe not pizzazz, but they all kind of have some kind of unique sort of attributes to them. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any offensive people. Uh, of course, you know, everybody knows about the guys on the Jets right now. 
in terms of uh, Elijah McGuire. Um, but, um, yeah, I would just say mainly DBs. I mean, that's the main thing I remember most from them was uh, was uh, the defensive backs for the most part, and specifically the safety group. They kind of stick out a little bit when I saw them. Well, what I noticed, and, and I'll stick also with the safeties, one is that I'm always pleased when I get to see safeties who can tackle. That's <laughs> does my heart good, Jim. I mean, once again, I realized I was bored now looking back in an age of a golden age of safeties. I now realize that, that the the early and mid-1970s was a golden age of safeties. Every single team in the league in the NFL had at least one pretty good safety. A lot of teams had two pretty good safeties, and there was a ludicrous number of Hall of Fame-level safeties playing, um, some of who have made the Hall of Fame, some like Donnie Schell or guys that maybe should make the Hall of Fame but have not, but... You know, you had Paul Krause, who was in the Hall of Fame, who ended up with 81 career interceptions. You had uh, Kenny Houston, who I know people like to say that, you know, Troy Palomalu or or Ed Reed or whatever was the greatest safety they've ever seen. And I would wish I wish more people had seen Kenny Houston because he was almost as big as Atwater but could really, really run and cover and was terrific against the run. Just a tr- I think he's one of the greatest safeties ever to play the game and just – because he spent so much of his career with the Oilers and then finished up the latter part of his career with the Over the Hill Gang in Washington, which gave him a little, you know, he got seen more, but by that point he was like 31 or 2 or something, so he wasn't quite the same freak athlete that he was in his early days. But if you pull up some of that early Ken Houston, which isn't early, easy to find, admittedly, but that, you know, 69 to, you know, 69, 70, 71 Ken Houston, woo! Big, fast, could thump, could run, could cut everything. He was as complete as Ed Reed, maybe more. Could hit like Atwater, could cover like Reed. He was just an amazing safety. I just wish more people knew how good he was. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the few sort of underrated Hall of Famers out there where people still somehow don't re- – whatever. But the point is that, yes, I was excited by seeing safeties who seem to have a good idea of what's coming. I mean, obviously – you want to not be out of position. As you pointed out, the first part of the word safety is safe. So you don't want to be too aggressive, which is sort of a conundrum nowadays because I see more and more, once again, just me. I mean, it's not, maybe maybe I'm seeing things that aren't there. But what I keep, what I, what I think I'm seeing is more and more teams, even though, as you said, the first part of the the name is safe, encouraging their safeties to, or maybe, maybe they're encouraged, maybe the safeties are doing cake on their own, but I, I'd be shocked if they were, to take more and more risk. I see more and more risk being taken by safeties, and if it works out, you know, woo, and you, you're a hero, and it's a highlight play, and you're on Sports Center or whatever. Uh, but if it, if you're wrong, if you didn't make the play after taking this risk, now, you know, the other guy's on Sports Center, and he's doing a dance in the end zone and all that good stuff. So, you know, once again, I was brought up in the first do-no-harm uh, kind of approach to playing safety. I loved the idea of safety blitzes. And had I been given my, you know, which is why they don't let you just call safety blitzes anytime you want, but I would have been coming pretty much on every play if I had been allowed to. So I was not allowed. But those guys are good blitzers, too, when they do blitz. Uh, but I noticed they did a good job of, like I said, just preventing people from getting downfield. They did a good job of, of covering the alleys, a good – 
job of taking away the middle at times. And even when they had to go in, you know, the sort of two deep shell situations, they did a good job of getting over the top and preventing big plays when, you know, the corner might be playing trail coverage underneath. And if you don't get where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to get there, you know, people yell at the corners sometimes that situation, but depending upon the coverage being played, the corners supposed to quote unquote and get beat. I mean, not get beat. You don't get beat too quickly, but you're supposed to fall into a position where if the, you know, the ball's thrown short or whatever happens, you're right there to, to pick it off. But because of that, you can't also cover over the top. So you're the safety. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're the safety. If a big play happens, and you're running, you know, from the opposite side of the football field, either A, you made a mistake, or B, your defensive coordinator made a mistake. But for the most part, I mean, it's it's in the name. It's safety. I feel like, and don't get me wrong, Bill, I understand the sort of big hit, you know, which – it's kind of going away in terms of that culture, you know, because when your aunt or whatever watches the game, go, I don't like the hits. It's too violent, you know, type of thing. Um, but, sure, everybody likes to see a safety make a big hit, sack a quarterback, whatever. But the primary, like, the, the reason why the position exists is to prevent big plays. If somebody makes a mistake and they end up where you are, you make that play. Um, and I think there's too much attention not being given to being able to make solo tackles, too much attention not being able to made to, you know, in order to make proper angles. Um, and it just kind of bugs me. Right. Well, here's what it comes down to for me. Sacks and big hits and that stuff, those things are sprinkles, right? But they aren't the Sunday. You know, you can't live on sprinkles. You can die on sprinkles sometimes if you aren't careful, but yeah. you definitely can't live on sprinkles. You can't live on sprinkles, no, because it's just sugar. I mean, right. you die eventually. There's not there's not enough nutrients in it to sustain yourself. You would eventually die from some sort of nutrient, you know, deficiency. Right. Because um, all it is is sugar. But again, I just the evaluation of safeties and the play of safeties to me has gotten a little out of hand where it's, it's all about, well, look at his big hit or look at his interception. Diving don't interception. Get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interceptions are cool. They are cool. They're fun. But They're the thing that you call your girlfriend about after the game. But I'm much more impressed when a safety is able to make a tackle or is able to cut off a wire. It's to prevent big plays. Because that is what your job is. You're the safety. You're safe. Now, if you're a strong safety, I get it. You're asked to play close to the line of scrimmage. If you're an edge safety, right? You're asked to play close to the line of scrimmage. I kind of evaluate you as if I was watching a well linebacker, really, um, or some other type of, yes. you know. Well, that line just continues to blur continuously more and more with each passing year, obviously. Yeah. But if you're a safety, if you're playing single high, if you're playing a kind of a deep coverage, eighth T. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's in the name. It's right there. <laughs> right there in the name. Yeah. It's in the right. name. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And, and that's, that, those were guys that, uh, you know, when I remember watching Lafayette, I mean, you know, they stuck out for their own uh, sort of way. So, um, 
I felt like they were a good aspect of the defense, I guess, in terms of... Uh, yeah, I would say probably one of the strengths of the defense. The yeah. You don't see a lot of great interior defensive line players in the Sun Belt. You, when you do, you notice them. You know, like, oh, oh, look at that guy. You know, because you... You know, you've you've watched a fair amount of Sunbelt football. You don't see a bunch of guys throwing guys around like you know, like empty trash cans. So when you see a guy who really knows how to, who's strong and has great leverage, knows how to use his hands, that guy stands like a sore thumb, a sore thumb in the in the Sunbelt. And the linebackers, I mean, once again, tell me if you've heard this before, are 221 pounders uh, almost universally, it seems now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're working on their speed. You know, if you read the offseason report. We're working on our speed. Uh, we're trying to up our endurance a bit. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Not not strong enough to tackle one-on-one. Not fast enough to cover guys in space. There's a lot of that going around, Jim, and the Sun Belt is far from immune. Uh, they've got a pretty bad case of it there, too. In fact, I'm going to... Maybe just for fun, try to see how many two hundred forty-pound starting linebackers are left in college football. Uh, they seem to be kind of a rare breed now. Pretty much, you know. I was actually challenging because um, uh, some of the beat writers, you know, that go to think. I was asking them, could you like bring a a little portable scale and weigh the linebackers? You know, just out of the blue in an interview, just be like, oh, can you step on this scale right here? <laughs> you know, right now? <laughs> just, to, just, to, just to double check, you know, just to double check. Yeah. Uh, that would yeah. be fun. That would be, <laughs> oh, man, Coach Saban wouldn't like that, though. But, yeah, it would be no, fun. No, <laughs> no. Coach Saban would be like, you think I'm lying about my, you know, my, I'm, I'm, I'm really open about information, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what we know Coach Saban for, for his openness. <laughs> that is, like, his, practically his middle name, Nick Open Saban. But, yeah, I would agree. Um, in terms of their offense, I keep thinking they had, like, a possession-y receiver that I thought I liked, but... Yeah, Riles, yeah. but he's no longer there. Oh, that's he's, right, okay gone up to that big uh, practice squad team in the sky. Okay. Perhaps. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, he's, yeah, he's not on the team anymore, so. And let's see. Anything else? Uh... And their quarterback, too, Anthony Jennings. Former LSU, (laughs) Anthony Jennings, yes. Is also not there anymore. Right. And his contribution to the team last year was a 15.99 quarterback score. Oh, oh, oh. The only thing that he was above average in was his completion percentage. That was it. Ah. So. And they have a tough schedule. Um, they play road games with Tulsa, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, and Appalachian State. Yeah, <laughs> there are some. Just so you know, there's some. Old, there's some Big Ten schools that I don't think have that tough of a non-conference draw. That's, whew, that's 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 work. <laughs> that's that's some 
They got some some work to do. That's a, they're chopping some wood there. That's that's a day. That's a hard day at the office right there. Good luck, uh, Raging Cajuns, with that their playing of teams outside of your conference. Yep. That's a that's a tall order right there. And you have some suspensions, and yeah, that's gonna be some a tough one. Um, Joe Dillon is only a sophomore, but he's probably the most talented down lineman on defense that they have at uh, at Lafayette. I'm trying to think of who else is worthy of mention. Oh, and I guess Darius Hoggins is expected to replace Elijah McGuire, and I wish him a lot of luck with that. That's <laughs> going to be a tall order. Uh, speaking of tall orders, uh, Elijah McGuire was sort of the offense, uh, basically, in his time there. Uh, they asked him to do some of everything. He helped on um, protection with the quarterback. He obviously, you know, got the lion's share of the, the carries in the in the rushing game. He caught the ball very well. He uh, he was a really good all-around running back. One of the, I think one of the more complete running backs in all of college football. And so, you know, big shoes, big. Big shoes to try to fill there. So good luck, Mr. Mr. Goggins. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else worthy of mention. Well, as you pointed out, Jennings kind of a wash. The last two years, their quarterbacks combined, you know, everyone who's taken snaps, 25 touchdowns, 25 interceptions. So that's literally a wash, I guess. Yep. Uh, oh, um, Damarin Mitchell was the other player I think I noticed uh, from their defense. So Joe Dillon is a is a a youngster, obviously, but he he made some some impressive plays, and I don't think nine and four is in the in the cards. And you're right, Riles is gone, but his uh, Nightwing, um, Robin, whatever, is a kid named Keenan Barnes. I don't know if you noticed him. He's on my all emerging watch list. Uh, he had six touchdowns last year, 31 catches. Uh, he's faster than Riles. Not quite as dependable or polished, but we'll see if he can take that jump. I guess their best offensive lineman is Diakwin Withrow, you know, who is probably a guy with a shot at the all-name team. Jordan Davis apparently has the uh, inside track to win the the uh, passing job. Now, 
Joe Dillon is really small. <laughs> He's like six two and a half and about two hundred and seventeen pounds, you know, which was a good sized defensive end in nineteen forty three. But not so big nowadays. So as as we just noted, uh, with the incredible shrinking football players, he is he is one of them. This era of of you know, smaller though he is a good player, um, like I said, maybe their best player on their defensive line. Uh, 51 tackles, 7 sacks, 12.5 tackles for loss. Uh, as you mentioned, Travis uh, Crawford and Tracy Walker. And the other guy I noticed uh, was Taboris Lee, who, stop me you've heard this before, he and uh, Kevin Perry are both active, but you guessed it, somewhat undersized uh, <laughs> defensive tackles. And what else? Um, they'd like to make it back to a bowl game. Pivotal games for them will include the Arkansas Gate game on November the 19th. If they can win that game, they probably will go bowling again. If they lose that game, they may end up just a little shy of what it takes to be a bowl team. So we'll see how that plays out. But as always, uh, like I said, there's, I think it's, it's a team and a school and a program uh, that probably deserves more attention than it receives. Partially, obviously, due to the presence of LSU and uh, partially due to the fact they are in the formation Sunbelt, which, as you've noted, is a conference for the teams that have nowhere else to go. Okay, and a, well, I guess they're not really a newcomer anymore. Uh, Texas State is now, you know, sort of an, an established program since they've had several new schools. I remember when Texas State was the new school. That's how far back I go with the Sun Belt. But uh, now they've added, you know, all this FCS slide-ups and uh, a few other schools. Texas State, I remember the first player I really paid a lot of attention to for them a few years back was a quarterback named Barrick Neely, who essentially was a poor man's Vince Young and unfortunately never, like with Vince Young, never established himself enough as a, you know, passer, uh, especially sort of conventional passing attack to, you know, to have the career he might have had if he'd really mastered that part of the game. But the Bobcats of Texas State, as you said, Troy is in Alabama. Texas State is in Texas. That alone gets you a certain number of guys who have some football talent. Just having you know, the ability to say, hey, you know, would you like to play football, college football in Texas? That alone does a certain amount for you. And amongst the things that some people are thinking they might sort of be a, a dark horse, a, you know, sneak up on your team, uh, if you can use that phrase about the Sun Belt, uh, they do have Damian Williams, who's coming over from um, Mississippi State, who is bigger than some of their, you know, down linemen on defense. I mean, he's got a – that's a good-sized kid. Remember Damian Williams from uh, the court, big, giant quarterback from Mississippi State that drew some um, – He was the guy that tried to take Dak Prescott's job, right? Uh, he, he's the one that Florida. tried to, to, to win the job from Nick Fitzgerald. Oh. When he had that three-way battle for the job. Right. And okay. one of them was this giant kid that people were comparing to Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Oh God. You remember the giant kid listed at six foot seven, though he's probably less than you know, 
here's the thing, Bill. You know, if if a quarterback is big, tall, and white, we don't say he's Tom Brady, right? <laughs> no. We don't no, do that. Or, or oh, Peyton he's Manning. Peyton Manning. <laughs> we don't do that. But if it's a black quarterback and he's six five and he's kind of big, Cam Newton. <laughs> like the only, I don't know, but whatever. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so he's he's big. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I, my my general thoughts on most quarterbacks is if you can't win the starting job wherever you are, uh, it, it doesn't really say the confidence level is not very high. We got like that's what I'm trying to say. Um, even if it is at a big time pro and Nick Fitzgerald is not really that great of a um, quarterback. Although I'll stop talking Mississippi State people might be listening. But um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean the quarterback situation couldn't have been any worse than what it was last year. Um, also true. For last year they had Tyler Jones, um, who had a twenty three point nineteen score. Um but yeah, this year in particular, I'm not really sure about Texas State. One, they didn't, they didn't win a lot of football games last year, uh, obviously. Uh, two, the only games I was able to see of them were games where I felt like they recorded, it's like FCS level production games, and not like the North Dakota State FCS production, like no. the sort of random school like Lafayette uh, sort of. Uh, production of of, uh, of the team. Um, so I really don't know what's going to happen this year. Um, a lot of the cornerbacks that were there were kind of interesting or kind of gone. The only, maybe Brian London at linebacker, redshirt sophomore, he might be a guy to maybe take a look at just because he's a redshirt sophomore, though. So, like, he's not – I mean, you go to Texas State. There's no way you're going to declare for the NFL unless, you know, your grandmother – passes away or something, and I don't know. Um, and, her, and her dying wish was that you get cut early on in camp? <laughs> exactly. Or I'm just saying, like, a scenario where, like, the grandmother's taking care of the kids, and, uh, and then she dies, and then there's nobody else to take care of them because dad's locked up and the mother is, you know, gone. Something. Very tragic story. That is not you, Brian Lund. You probably have a very – a uh, healthy family, uh, you know, nothing dysfunctional about it, and your grandmother's probably still alive. I'm just saying that he would be a guy to 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 look at. Um, at least when I remember watching them, he was the guy who kind of showed up a little bit. But the rest of the team, I'm just not sure about. Um, I think the running back they had last year too, who got a decent amount of Deadman Mayberry exposure. They're, um... Yeah. Leading returning rusher, yeah. Right. He might be another guy to maybe uh, take a look at as well. But um, I'm just not sure about this Texas State. I like the other Texas, the the West, is it West Texas? The, the other Texas. The, well, West Texas, the a, West Texas is a Division Two powerhouse, so. Right, 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 right. Uh, the... They have white and green uniforms. Oh, North so, Texas. North Texas, right. I like that Texas more than this Texas. Right, I, I got you. But, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. 
Well, this is a school that was near the bottom in sacks and tackles for loss. So they have trouble in the front, and I don't see that front that trouble going anyplace. I think that trouble will continue. And like you, I did like London. He seemed to have a good nose of the ball, took good angles. The best offensive player is probably just a sophomore. Uh, kid who's played some center and some guard named Aaron Brewer. But he's undersized as heck. Once again, back to the future, it's like, wait a second. Did I just wake up in 1983? The kid is about 6'2 and 5'8 and about 271 pounds. But he's their best offensive lineman. Uh, he's very strong from size. He's very quick. But he's you know, clearly not a mauler. He's just a guy who's really good at getting position and leverage, and he can – he can even move people. He's not, you know, killing them, but he's moving them. Uh, Tyler Watts is probably their best wide receiver. He and Elijah King have occasionally flashed, and we mentioned Stedman, Mayberry, their um, running back. The quarterback position, as you just mentioned, is a giant question mark. Uh, London, you know, who's 232, which nowadays is pretty decent size. Uh, good speed. Uh, lit it up against Idaho. Uh, Maybe a great game for the team, but he had 18 tackles, 19, 19 tackles against them, and I think 18 against Arkansas State. Gabe Lloyd is his, you know, his partner, uh, the other linebacker spot. I think they run a 4-2-5, but they only have two linebackers. Uh, Ishmael Davis occasionally showed up, and the other uh, D end is a kid named Jordan Mitty, who frankly got bullied a lot last year. We'll see if that changes. And then their best safety is Brandon McDowell. Uh, but, yeah, so we said they do have Damian Williams transferring uh, from Mississippi State. We'll see just what he brings with him when he comes in. He'll only have one year of eligibility. That's one thing he's going to bring with him. So he, he better, if he's going to play, he better win the job. Uh, for Texas to have a season, well, maybe it's a good season. They have to beat Coastal Carolina on the road, which I think they might be capable of doing. Uh, Houston Baptist is a team they should beat. Uh, ULM, New Mexico State, and Georgia State are all games at home. So they have a shot to win all of those. So if they beat Houston Baptist, ULM, New Mexico State, and Georgia State, and if they beat Coastal Carolina, which is a little tougher, they'll only need to find one more win somewhere in there. They'll face UTSA, uh, UC San Antonio, on the 23rd. And they also face Colorado out of conference. That should be a tough game for them. Uh, Appalachian State, that probably is a loss. So if they can beat UTSA and win those games mentioned earlier, they have a real shot at going bowling. And I think they're going to come up a game short, though. I think they're probably a five win team. Could be wrong, but my my hmm. Texas State prediction is five and seven. Hmm. So it's possible they could get to that six six win. They have a shot. Hmm. Okay. Well you you are you doubting that they get to six wins or are you doubting that they get to five wins? <laughs> Because I doubt they get the six, but I think they have a shot at five. I'm just saying, you know, it, it's a team that went 0-7 in a conference last year, you know. Um, True. With uh, 
It's a lot of confidence is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, it's a new year. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a new year, new beginnings, all that stuff. But, you know, it's there's still Texas State. So Correct. We are still Texas State. So, I don't, I don't know. That brings us to one of the newer programs in the conference, the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina. Beyond their cool name, this team has some talent. Maybe the best player in the history of their program, uh, Diego Henderson, is now in the NFL. Some people remember the greatness that was Tyler Thigpen. And, of course, I guess the best player in the history of the program is actually by Josh Norman, who was a sort of accidental Chanticleer, a walk-on yeah. via his brother getting a chance to play there. And, you know, you know, the legend goes sleeping on his couch and showing up at practices and bothering coaches as they let him, you know, they let him come out and play. It really is a tremendous story and one of those things where, you know, it's all about perseverance and it's one of those great stories. It's, you know, not quite up there with um, Kurt Warner, but not not far off in terms of just a guy refusing to take no for an answer. But the uh, Chanticleers do have Austin Wilson transferring in another this conference is full of, uh, you know, guys coming from bigger programs thinking, well, you know, I can't be a quarterback here, but there's always the Sun Belt <laughs> uh, who lost the battle to Eric Dungy at Syracuse a couple of years ago and sat out last year per transfer regulations and now might get his day in the Sun Belt. But uh, we'll see. Once again, sometimes it doesn't work out. You know, Matty Mock transferred down to Eastern Kentucky, and people were talking about what he was going to do at Eastern Kentucky, and I said, he's never going to win that job. Uh, of course, I think people just sort of assumed that Benny Coney was going to politely step out of the way and hand over his quarterback job, and it didn't quite work out. Uh, but this might be a slightly different situation. They they do have, you know, they, like many teams, they are looking for quote-unquote playmakers. And we'll see if Austin Wilson can be one of them. Their offensive line was helped to some extent. People talk about, you know, what the offensive line can do for a running back. And, of course, it's true. They certainly can. But in the case of Coastal Carolina, I truly believe that D'Angelo Henderson helped their offensive line. And we'll see if whoever has the job now has that same ability to make the offensive line look really good. I think amongst the offensive line group, the one that most impressed me was Andrew Lawhorn. And we'll see if he continues to improve. On the other side of the ball, Marcus Williamson was a guy that I think I – he and Shane Johnson were the guys that made the most of an impression on me on defense. Uh, let's see. 
So they need to have improved quarterback play. But tell me about what you think might be coming for the Chanticleers and who amongst some of their remaining players are guys that you know are worthy of note to you. Right. Um, hmm. I don't think I really saw that much Coastal Carolina last year. Um, I I did see D'Angelo Henderson, uh, at least a couple of his games, in terms of, like, cut-ups. Um, the one guy who kind of pops a bit on paper is uh, the cornerback Anthony Chesley. He's a junior there. But then again, he might just be popping on paper, and that's you know, the only sort of thing. Um, but um, yeah, I, all I can really say is I didn't really, really catch much uh, Coastal Carolina. I think the other, I don't know if it was, I don't know, it was a different Carolina I caught. I forgot the name of it. But um, I don't know. If, I think it was North Central Carolina, maybe. Well, there's here's here's the various Carolinas. There, there's NC A&T, which plays in the MEAC. Right. Uh, there's Western Carolina that plays right. in the Southern Conference. Mm-hmm. There is, well, we've talked about Coastal Carolina, which used right. to be the Southern Conference. Uh, then you've got East Carolina, which plays in Conference USA. Right. There's both a North Carolina and a North Carolina State that play in the ACC. Right, right. Um, There's Charlotte. Right, UNC Charlotte, which we, <laughs> the 49ers, as you often criticize. The 30, 36ers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you will never get a chance to be the SID at that school, Jim. Um, let's see. There are other schools that play football in the state, but none of the others have Carolina in the name. Um, right. Well, I'm so, pretty sure it was it was A and T. Was the uh, there is a UNC Pembroke? Right. I had a really good kicker last year. Right, but I didn't. I didn't actually catch a lot of Coastal Carolina. Uh, unfortunately, um, but uh, there is a lot of. I mean, we just went through a lot of Carolina schools, so there's a lot of. If you are in the state of Carolina, whether that is south or north, plenty of stuff. I didn't even get to South Carolina, right? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Little all North Carolina schools, right? That shows. There's my. There's my prejudice showing. You can tell I lived in North Carolina. Um, if someone says Carolina, I just forget about South Carolina altogether. Uh, obviously, in South Carolina, you have South Carolina State. You do have South Carolina, obviously, the, the main campus in Columbia. Um, right. The other South Carolina schools have, don't have Carolina in their name. Uh, Clemson, of course, is the biggest in terms of, you know, right. all and actual uh, undergrad undergraduate uh, enrollment. Uh, and then the others, like I said, you know, have some other name as of, you know, don't they have yeah, Wofford Mason, or whatever. Mason Rudolph. Mason or, uh, Rudolph played uh, high school at 
well, in at a South Carolina high school. Just a pretty sure about that. I may be wrong. I'm pretty sure in terms of Mason Rudolph, uh, which is kind of a random thing. But yeah, I mean, Clemson is a national champion, you know, um, technically. So, but if you're looking for a reason to watch the Santa Bears this year, Jim, I'm going to give right. you a reason. His okay. name is Chris Jones. And terrific return player. He had 62 catches in his career for 1,023 yards and six touchdowns. Only did 22 catches last year. And I'm not going to blame, blame quarterback play, though a lot of people will do that. Their quarterback play was not great. But if you watched him as a return guy, you could see that this is a guy who has – you know, tremendous agility, good burst. I think he's going to have a breakout season. He's on my all-emerging team, and I think he's likely to break out. If they get any kind of passing attack going, he's likely to be the target. So he's probably the most fun, at least on offense, the most fun-to-watch player on the whole <coughs> on the whole roster. And making our way down the roster, Osharmar, and no, I didn't study. His name is Osharmar. Osharmar Abercrombie Sr. Uh, is likely to be the guy getting most of the snap, replacing the not-soon-to-be-forgotten D'Angelo Henderson. Uh, junior guard Adam Lawhorn is the best offensive lineman that I spotted, at least. We'll see what the quarterback situation is. Austin Wilson may have a shot to win that job, and if so, you'll be counting on him to show up. Ethan Howard is a pretty physically talented but underpowered tackle. Good feet. Fairly, seem to be fairly flexible, just not very strong. But he's just a sophomore. And then, obviously, DeMarcus, uh, defensive end, Marcus Williamson, he's a JUCO transfer. He had uh, 48 tackles, three and a half sacks, nine tackles for loss. And he also made a couple of, I think, three kicks blocked altogether last year, something like that. So he's a really impressive special teams player. Uh, he's joined by Shane Johnson, uh, Anthony Chelsea, Miles White, and... Probably their best interior player, in fact, uh, definitely their best interior player, Dwayne Price. Uh, the kid from Syracuse has, for his career, completed 58% of his passes, Austin Wilson, for 418 yards, one touchdown and seven picks in limited action. Uh, he needs to obviously flip the, flip the script on that one to seven to get it to, you know, seven to one, and then we're talking. Uh, they play Massachusetts, so a couple of couple of former FCS. Well, one was a powerhouse, and one was just sort of a, also ran, but face off when UMass takes on um, Coast Carolina on the second of September. I won't be shocked if they win that game. Then they take on UAB. 
if they can somehow win both games, who knows? Not that I'm predicting it, but uh, that would help them. I think if they manage to win two Sunbelt games and, say, four games overall, that would be pretty decent. in their maiden voyage as a full-time member of the FBS. Uh, Do you have any other notes before we move on? Mm, Yeah, not really. Okay. Not a problem. Well, let's make our way to probably the least sunniest of the Sunbelt locations. I mean, they get some sun, and I'm sure in beautiful Las Cruces. I shouldn't say that, but let's make our way out to New Mexico State. Another one of those schools, when people make a list of like the hardest places to win, they always make that list, somewhere on that list, top five, top ten, whatever. It's hard to find anybody who's had really sustained success at New Mexico State. Whether it be the lack of natural recruiting base, whether it be it's just literally a difficult place to get to, whether it be the breathtaking, in all senses of the word, elevation, Another one of those sort of top five highest, you know, in terms of elevation campuses as well. But they tended to put out, you know, some interesting quarterbacks. Holbrook, a few others who've at least, you know, been around some camps, made some 53-man rosters. They bring back Larry Rose III, who's kind of the show there. They also get back Tyler Rogers, who got a medical red shirt. And they need their offensive line to continue to improve. They struggled on defense, not surprisingly. They, uh, and even on offense, to some extent, they only scored just under three-quarters of the time when they got the ball inside the 20, which is really not great. And on defense last year, they allowed almost 500 yards a game. Rodney Butler is gone, who was one of the few sort of bright spots on defense last year. Uh, They have Dalton Harrington and Terrell Hanks back, who are their leading returning tacklers. They don't have a lot of size, really any place, uh, practically on this team. Uh, They didn't generate pass rush. They only had 11 sacks as a team, you know, which I guess Michigan State would be like, you know, (laughs) hold my beer. Love to have that, yeah. (laughs) Exactly.
However, the back half of the defense did generate 13 um, picks, which is well above average. Despite the fact that they are where they are, their punting was not great last year. That will need to improve. But as I mentioned on offense, the show, there's something that begins and ends with Larry Rose III. 1,651 yards, 14 touchdowns, 30 catches, two touchdowns receiving. Even playing hurt the year before that, he had over 800 yards rushing, four touchdowns, and in nine games, 25 catches for 180 yards. But when he's right, he's pretty impressive. Tyler Williams sucks. Tyler Rogers returns, as I said, at quarterback. Their best offensive lineman is the leader of their offensive line, Anthony McMeans, the, the center. Greg Hogan returns. They're uh, probably their best wide receiver. And speaking of all-name uh, candidates, their second-best offensive line is probably their tackle, Sage Doxtator. Yeah, Sage Doxtator. That's a strong one. That's 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 a shot. <laughs> their best safety is Jaden Wright, and he's sort of a I don't even know what the term to use is. I mean, he's not a He's not a pure box safety, though he sometimes does come down in the box because he's, you know, six feet and 215 pounds, which nowadays is a linebacker. But uh, he also did a good job of playing the, the deep half. He had five interceptions, uh, 81 tackles. He had a 15-tackle game against UTEP. You know, so he plays the run like a linebacker. Well, nowadays, like linebackers do, I mean, He's as big as some of the linebackers on his team and some of these other teams. But he can cover. Uh, he can hit. He had he forced four fumbles. I mean, on a defense that didn't have a lot to really celebrate or, you know, brag about, I thought he was head and shoulders their best defensive player on a lot of the games I saw. But take me through the, the Aggies that have your eye and that you'll be watching this year. Uh, sure. Um, well, it's pretty much the same players. Uh, you know, Ronnie Butler was kind of an interesting sort of uh, player last year. Uh, Jane Wright at safety is probably their better defensive player this year. And, of course, Larry Rose on uh, offense is probably the big sort of thing to check out in terms of mm-hmm. offensive players. But um, but everything else is just kind of, uh, you know, okay. Kind of the best way I can say it. Um, size is, is definitely not something that a lot of the people on the team really have uh, on offense or defense. Um, but I do think that Rose and Wright are probably two prospects to keep an eye on, at least in the conference. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing the breathless, breathless reports of Jaden Wright tearing it up in NFL PA game or um, East-West Shrine game practices. 
And in terms of how this year, I think, will play out for them, they're one of those teams that should probably be thrilled if they manage to win four games. I'll give you one other player I think is worth watching. Uh, Cortland Busby. Now, he's, he's listed as a defensive tackle, Jim. He's 256 pounds. Once again, I know you're thinking, wait, what year is this? But he is a 256-pound defensive tackle. And he's their best defensive tackle. They do have Ray Lopez, who's about 291, and a 308-pound kid named Drew James, who aren't as good, or at least weren't last year. But they got 44 tackles, one sack, and five and a half tackles for loss out of Cortland Busby, who, to put it in perspective, is about 15 pounds lighter than LeVon Kirkland, who was a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the 90s. So he is probably one of the smallest, if not the smallest, starting defensive tackles in all of FBS football. And I don't know what's going to happen to him after this, but he's worth noting. I mean, just watching this little sucker fight his heart out week after week against guys who literally outweigh him by 40 and 50 pounds on a regular basis is something to watch. And you may know this, but not everyone might know this. They last made the postseason in 1960. Now, admittedly, it was harder in those days to make the postseason. There were fewer bowl games, but they've also played football in years where there are plenty of bowl games and still couldn't manage to make one. So a lot will have to happen. You'll get a good measuring stick game against Troy on the 16th. Last year they got beaten 50 to six, uh, 52 to 6, so they'll need not to do that again. If that can even be a compelling or interesting game, it probably bodes well for them. But as I said, I think four games – Four wins, to me, is the cause for celebration. Five is cause for a contract extension. And, uh, like I said, we'll see. Let's see. Uh, moving our way through the Sun Belt. So I guess we'll head back. Well, I guess you have to head back east. There's no no schools west of uh, of New Mexico State. So let's take a look at the first of our two Georgia schools. Uh, we'll take a look at Georgia Southern. Of course, the first time I watched Georgia Southern, I saw Tracy Ham, and they were running the Hambo offense under Irk Russell. Now that was Obviously, a long way, long, long time ago. They don't have so many fun names. They don't have a coach named Irk. They don't have a ham bone or anything else fun to sort of stick to in terms of that. But they do have some players worthy of watching. Are there any guys that you have already noted, or maybe you've noted going into last year that you'd already put on your your watch list? Um. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, It's with uh, Georgia Southern, right? That's the Eagles of Georgia Southern. Right. 
former FCS. This is really, as you said, sort of a place where, you know, FCS programs that get, I guess, too big for their britches or whatever tend to, tend to end up. Yeah, that's a good way to good way to say it. Um, honest, this year in particular, I really don't have anybody that really sticks out, mainly because a lot of the guys that were there that were kind of interesting are not there. You know, Matt Breda is now on the 49ers, I think, or at least he's in their, you know, on their uh, bubble list, but he's, you know, there. Uh, Ironhead, Gallon, of course, is uh, no longer there for one of the cooler names for a linebacker. Yes, and then, of course, Akimi uh, was drafted, literally drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so, which I think was probably just because he played at Florida State at one point and then went to Georgia State. Um, but yeah, going into this year, uh, not a lot of guys, at least to me. Um, you know, they run you know that triple option attack, yep. which is okay for skill position guys. At least to me, I think it's. I'm. I'm. I'm it doesn't hurt me too. It doesn't mess me up too much when I'm evaluating you know skill position dudes. But when it comes to offensive linemen, that's where I usually have some some issues with uh, trying to figure out stuff with those types of guys. But um, but yeah, in terms of this year, I don't really. I mean, the one guy I remember seeing a decent amount was Chris De La Rosa, and he's okay, kind of a, maybe a strong side linebacker type, maybe. But I didn't really see a guy that. I would think the NFL team would uh, would draft in him. 100%. Well, Darius Sapp is a guy that is probably worth noting on the defense. Uh, probably he's big. Um, not always the right kind of big. He was playing at about 332 or so last year. He probably should have been about 15 or so pounds less than that. But we'll see how he develops and comes along. Wesley Fields is likely to be the guy that gets the lion's share of the – apparently to go to more of a committee situation. Well, I mean, it's triple option. I guess it's always a committee. But it was clear that they knew who their best running back was last year, even in triple option. And uh, Field might be the guy that gets the lion's share of, of the touches, along with L.A. Ramsby, uh, the running backs. But he needs to show he can, first of all, stay healthy for a whole season, which thus far the junior hasn't always been able to do. But once again, it's triple option. You have other guys. Uh, Jeremiah Colbreth, because of the way their offense plays, I don't know if he, you know, we'll see. But he's a guy that, despite being decent-sized, I mean, he's not huge, once again, triple option, but he's he has decent size, and obviously, you know, you can see him move a lot. I mean, he's required by the way they scheme to move a lot and dive at people and, you know, cut them. Not a lot of pass sets. So whenever they do throw the ball, I always try to watch the line, as, you know, as much as possible. He seemed to have some concept of how to, how to actually uh, pass protect, though he wasn't great at it. The next best... Um, Offensive lineman is probably Ryan Northrup, the the guard. I think he played left guard last year. <coughs> but don't quote me on that. 
and <coughs> their best safety and maybe even their best piece of player was Josh Moon. And he seemed to get better as the season went along. The first time I saw him play, you know, didn't really impress me. Then the second time, you know, flashed a little bit. And then the third time I saw him, it's like, oh, he looked really fast. You know, showed some pop. Uh, obviously, he doesn't get to practice a lot against, at least, you know, at least practicing his own guys, against really interesting passing offenses or polished passing offenses. So maybe that's part of it. Getting used to seeing them as the season goes along, maybe. But he's definitely the leader of the defensive secondary, maybe the leader of the defense altogether. Uh, they have a cornerback named Jesse Liptrot, decent. Uh, Logan Hunt's probably their best, and you mentioned uh, uh, De La Rosa. Hunt's probably their best uh, pass rusher, which isn't saying much. They don't have much of a pass rush. And their other safety, Jay Bowdry, isn't bad, but he's you know nowhere near Joshua Moon. And as you said, they have a quarterback competition. I, I don't know who won it, but I know that they going into it, they're expecting maybe Seth Schumann to separate himself. He also was going to face LeBaron Anthony and Shy Wirtz. Um, but we'll see. It's triple option attack, and probably more than one guy will play just because of the nature of the offense. He did manage uh, Schumann, the guy they're expecting to win the job, did go 34-72 for 357 and a score with three interceptions in uh, <clears throat> mop-up duty last year. And he ran for 39 yards also last year. But we'll see, you know, what happens with that. And once again, another team that's shooting for a bowl appearance. Um, a pivotal game will be the 4th of October versus Arkansas State. You get a good sense of just how much better they, if they are better, how much better they are. It's a nasty televised Wednesday night game, so it could be a great recruiting tool on top of that. So it's uh, clearly a, a game they'll want to win. And like I said, it'll give you a good, I mean, if you see that, if they look like they, yeah, most of all, if they win that game, that's what it comes down to. If they win that game, it puts them in a pretty good position to have a shot. And now the other side, well, not the other side, but not that far away, but far enough, I guess, you know, a couple hours drive away, we now go to Georgia State. And was it going to stop me? You've heard this before, a former FCS program. Uh, Georgia State, even for... I think even if the FCS program hadn't been playing that long, I think they are sort of a relatively new program, if memory serves me correctly. Even, uh, I don't think they played a super long time in the FCS level before they decided to make the move up. And, of course, you know, I have been critical in the past. I won't bother criticizing the game. I'm sure they have their reasons for leaving uh, the FCS and playing a little above their their raisins and a little above really what they can handle right now in the program, quite frankly, in terms of being able to really successfully compete. But here they are, like it or not. And 
they're going to play at uh, FBS programs, and who knows, they might be some of them. And here's what I will say about Georgia State. They are making progress. <clears throat> they are moving forward and moving forward very quickly. And actually, I take it back. I don't even think they – well, they, no, they did have like a year or two or something at FCS. Uh, but Bill Curry, the uh, center and, and later coach uh, who played for championship teams with Lombardi and later with uh, the Colts. Baltimore Colts, yeah. But the Colts. Uh, I guess sort of birthed that program. Uh, took the job, I think, two years before they were ever, you know, suited up to play a game, was recruiting kids, you know, two years before they were going to take the field. And I think they might only spent one year. I, I don't know what they only spent, They didn't spend long at the FCS level. They were there a very, very short amount of time before moving up, which, like I said, I thought it was, you know, I don't know what all the hurry was about, but whatever. Charlotte did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, now we're here. Now we're gone. I guess. Doesn't, make, doesn't mean it makes more sense. Big, af- big aspirations. Yes. Well, Travis Trickett. Yes. Yes, uh, Travis Trickett, and yes, that is yet another one of the sons of, of Clint Trickett. I mean, not Clint Trickett, of uh, Rick Trickett, sorry, and brothers of, of Travis Trickett and the other various Tricketts. Uh, he's there off of the coordinator, Sean Elliott, who is another sort of young up-and-comer in the coaching ranks, is their head coach now. Their running game was in the bottom 15 in the nation last year. They only managed to grind out 88. 88 yards a game. And they do have a – the funny thing is Kyler Neal himself is actually fairly talented, so I'm going to, you know, assume that they'll do better this year. <clears throat> they have Connor, no relation, Manning, at quarterback. And they have Penny Hart, back from injury, who is a, an impressive sort of uh, punt return type wide receiver. And also uh, Glenn Smith and Todd Boyd. They'll need to protect their quarterback and, and obviously run the football better than they did last year. Their defense allowed only, once again, this is Sun Belt, but only 381 yards a game. There's a couple of teams in the conference who give up 500, so I guess that's something to be proud of. Nate Fuqua, who is a, another young, they have a pretty young group of coaches. Uh, it's a young program. I guess everything, everything around them is pretty young. Uh, is, a, is a guy who's seen as sort of a star on the rise in the coaching ranks. More emphasis on toughness and playing on the other, the other side, the, the, the other team's side of the ball. And they did lose Bobby Baker, who might have been their best defender or something, one of their best defenders last year. They do bring back Jerome Smith and Shandon Sullivan amongst their uh, corners, and that might be the best tandem, actually one of the better tandems amongst uh, corners in the conference. They did give up 207 yards of that uh, 381. 207 of it was given up along the ground, so they would like to at least improve there. Now, do you remember Penny Hart? He missed last year with, uh, I think, a knee, but he impressed me the year previous. Um, hmm, Penny Hart. Yeah, H-A-R-T. Once again, yeah. sort, of, sort of a cool name, but yes. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I can't really recall him. I mean, when I was watching Georgia State, they were struggling to complete uh, passes. Yeah, they've got some issues at the quarterback position. Connor Manning, uh, no relation, does have a fair amount of experience under his belt. I'd like to see him do something with it. But, yeah, Penny Hart had an amazing – was an all-freshman uh, receiver in, 2000, in my mind, in 2015. Uh, had – I don't know exactly what his market share numbers were, but I bet they were good. He had 1,099 yards, eight touchdowns, 71 catches in, in 2015. Super quick. Five, eight and a half-ish, probably about 172 pounds. Uh, he had a really bad hamstring injury and then uh, broke his foot. So he had both those injuries. So the uh, hamstring injury, I think, was happened sort of l- you know late spring and dogged him in the early games and then you know, fairly early in the season, he broke his foot and missed the, you know, basically the entire year. But I think he's the most exciting offensive player in terms of, you know, ability to make people miss and things like that in the entire conference, assuming he's 100% healthy now. Uh, Kyler Neal is going to carry most of the load at running back. Well, like I said, Connor Manning needs to, as you said, improve. And they have a couple other receivers in Glenn Smith and Todd Boyd. In terms of defense, they, like I said, they do have a decent defense. They don't have any superstar types on defense, but they do have a, uh, once again, stop me, you've heard this before, a Turin 32-pound defensive end. Uh, this is about 6'3 and a half. Played some linebacker, played some defensive end. So, you know, in fairness, he played both. But more of a pass, more of a pass rusher, uh, even a hybrid, I guess. He, thought he was in a hybrid role last year. 76 tackles, three sacks. Now that three sacks did lead the team, and 12 tackles for loss. They bring back also Trey Payne, Chandon Sullivan, McKinney Cherador, and Chase Middleton. Uh, Shaw is just a junior. He has a shot when his time comes to be drafted. The rest of those guys are probably on draft free agent types. And, you know, Manning, a guy who left Utah a couple years back that's been a year at junior college, now makes his way or now made his way to Georgia Southern where he tried to fill the considerable shoes of Nick Arbuckle. He did have 2,700 yards or almost 2,700 yards passing, 16 touchdowns, but 13 interceptions. And he was part of... You know, maybe his best game, uh, ironically, came against Wisconsin. We went 20 of 29. And then against App State through four interceptions. So, right. Like the girl with the curl. So, are there any guys that maybe I missed or or other guys that were of interest to you? Or what do you think Hmm. of that program? I mean, defensively, McKennedy, Chirador, Intrigued me a couple of years ago, right. but then nothing really happened up to this point. And then they also have Michael Schott, linebacker, um, who was kind of interesting, but wasn't a lot of stuff. It was not – I think the game in particular I saw of Georgia State was Georgia State versus uh, Charlotte. Um, so not, not, not very good football going on. In that game, 100% in terms of quarterback play, especially. 
Man, you earned your paycheck in that one, Demetric. Yeah. Yeah, that's some challenging football. Well, once again, uh, the Medrick stick game will most likely be the game against Troy. Uh, they do get them at home, and then five days later, they'll face South Alabama. I don't think they're a full team, but it's not impossible. Um, they're another team I think is probably right at that 6-6 six and six mark. Anything over that? should be pretty much wildly celebrated. But like I said, they do have the elements. With that being said, I see the element, the foundation of a good program being put in place there. So Tennessee State, Charlotte, Coastal Carolina, and Texas State, those are all winnable games. Then they guys got to find two more somewhere. Uh... So, yeah, there's that. And that brings us to one of my favorites, or maybe favorites, not quite the term I want to use, but A program that I guess I've seen rarely disappoints. Now, they might not always be great, but they rarely disappoint in terms of being intriguing, fun to watch, compelling. Excuse me. So, I guess on their way out the door, the Fighting Petrinos, way up in Pocatello, are going to have an opportunity to uh, show the world what they can do, for lack of a better way of putting it. They have an underrated quarterback, at least underrated in my mind. They have a couple of guys on defense, worthy of note. And maybe more than a couple on offense that may at least be worthy of mention. Obviously, they have a well-respected coach. Uh, Who are the Vandals that most interest you this year, Jeff? Uh, sure. Uh, I think the big one this year in particular is probably Akeem Coleman. Um, he's kind of a undersized, which a lot of these guys are undersized, but kind of an undersized uh, defensive tackle slash defensive end uh, type. Uh, but I think he's pretty solid in terms of what he can do um, uh, in terms of hand usage and stuff like that. So he's pretty powerful guy, at least in some of the games I saw of him. Uh, and then uh, I'm trying to think if there's any wide receivers. Because um, I do – I did like some of their tight ends, like Deion Watson um, and uh, the other guy. I think it was Trent Cowan, I think, 
that those guys aren't there anymore. Um, but for me, I guess it would just be Coleman, kind of the main guy that I kind of gravitated to in terms of the defense. Um, and, you know, Matt Linehan at quarterback is decent. He's okay. They also have uh, Mason Petrino behind him, which I think is kind of funny. Um, yeah. Like bloodlines on bloodlines. Yeah. Yeah. It's a darn shame that, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, that the Mornaway kid was, you know, too, born too soon. Right. Sorry, yeah. Skyler. If only. That would have been cool if they could have had a quarterback meeting room that was just full of sons of, you know, offensive genii or whatever. Well, here's what I will say about Idaho. As you just mentioned, Matt Linehan, in its final, you know, farewell to FBS, is the kind of guy that, I mean, probably is a future quarterback coach or whatever, but uh, but I could see him in the right situation, especially a sort of West Coasty kind of situation, being somebody's number two or number three. They like I said, did knock off Colorado State in a super entertaining, famous Idaho Potatoes Bowl with 111 points. Like I said, when I tweeted before the game, I said, hide your, what did I say, hide your scoreboards, hide your statisticians. But uh, it did play out as expected. They did lose four of their five top receivers, you noted. And they did have an 11-plus turnover margin last year. We'll see if that continues. Um... Like I said, I think it'll be fun to see if they can indeed pull off. You know, wouldn't that be cool if they could somehow have another nine or, heck, even a ten win? I don't think it's going to happen. But on their way out the door (laughs) as an SBS program, they could have, you know, nine or a ten win. I mean, that would be crazy. But, you know, who knows? Uh, The other Vandals that I see as being at least worthy of note. Uh, Aaron Duckworth, probably their best uh, running back, is a guy I think is worth watching. And then they have a, you know, space player. Lines up in the backfield, lines up in the slot, returns, punts, and kickoffs. Isaiah Sanders, <coughs> Saunders at Idaho is a guy that I think is worth watching. Uh, their best returning wide receiver is Alfonso Onanwar. He's a guy that I think is worth at least, a, you know, grabbing at least a, a tape or two. Get a look at him. Um, Jordan Rose is probably their best offensive lineman. He's kind of got to probably will be playing, if he plays in this, he'll probably will play guard, maybe, or maybe in center. More likely guard. Uh, and then Noah Johnson is probably the other offensive lineman who's worthy of, of note. You mentioned Akeem Coleman. I think he's a guy that, once again, we'll be hearing about the NFL PA Bowl practices, game practices. Somebody will, will yep. like. Uh, Tony Lashley is probably their best linebacker, and he's not amazing. Caden Ellis, either he or Caden Ellis, maybe. They're not amazing, but they're they're, you know, they're, they're worth watching. 
And I think they're a bowl team. I think they're a bowl team again this year. I mean, it's not guaranteed. I don't think it's, you know, another nine and four years in the cards. But I wouldn't be shocked if they managed to go, you know, seven and five in the regular season. Wouldn't shock me. You know, which would be, like I said, be cool. If they managed to do even better than that, it'd be you know, super cool. I just don't know if that's terribly likely. And and now we're getting into sort of the top tier, I guess. Uh, let's see. So amongst the teams that are still left, <clears throat> well, there's Troy and there's Appalachian State, which are I don't use the term traditional powerhouse, but that's the state has only been in the FBS for a handful of years. And Troy is a solid program. And, you know, for many people, was the first Sunbelt program that they could name. I think I'm probably one of those people. I think it was probably the first, you know, Sunbelt program. Now, at one point, as you said, North Texas used to be in the Sunbelt. And they... um, Yep. They were pretty decent when they were there. But they, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a lateral move or if it's a, you know, move up or whatever, but they've moved on to to Conference USA. But in the top tier, the, you know, I don't know if there's some creme de la creme, but yes, creme-ish. Uh, De La Crimish. I mean, Arkansas State, as you mentioned, is a, a solid program. Appalachian State is a solid program. And, and Troy is a solid program. <clears throat> and I think one of those teams, one of those three teams, is probably going to find a way to get to 10 wins. I, of course, could be wrong. But I think that there's some... Somewhere in this conference, there's a 10-win team lurking out there. <clears throat> and it could be could be any one of those three. I think it's probably most likely, I mean, it could be Appalachian State. But let's, uh, okay, we'll start with the, the Red Wolves of, uh, of Arkansas State. Like I said, what he calls a launching pad program, a program where <clears throat> a good number of successful Head coaches on the on the rise. I think Blake Anderson's still there, though. He's he's you know he's had a nice long run for uh, an Arkansas State coach because normally those guys are about three and out. And then beyond their their coach, however long he's their coach, there's some other things worthy of note. Anderson is like many of the coaches have been. They're a guy who's known for being able to get production out of two-star talent on offense. Justice Hansen is the quarterback. Uh, they do bring back also uh, Warren Wand and Johnston White. <clears throat> they have a kid named Blake Mack, who might be the best tight end in the conference. Have you checked him out yet, Jim? Oh, you, the tight end that's there? Yeah. Yeah, like Matt. Yeah. I, he's decent. pretty decent, yeah. Well, once again, he was born at the right time. Uh, he 
he clearly he's come along in an era where people wanted their tight ends to be, you know, truly impressive inline blockers. Blockers, he would have probably been less attractive, but he can do the other things that people look for in the position. They are another 4-2-5 team with some issues at certain positions, at least in part due to the way that they play. Uh, they have Roland Jones back for one more year. They did lose Chris Odom, and they lost uh, Jake Swalley and Waylon Roberson. They do still have Kyle Wilson, who might be their best linebacker. They did lose Xavier Woodson-Luster. They do get back Justin Clifton and Blaze Taylor in the secondary, who are probably the, the best players back there. This was one of the most penalized teams in football last year, though. Uh, they were penalized pretty heavily. They've been over 100 penalties the last three seasons. Is that we got to change that. They had 18 against Utah State, 10 against Auburn, so, and then 25 in the last two games. And once again, stop me if you heard this before. Uh, Justice Hansen, the junior, is a Oklahoma transfer and spent some time in junior college and then came here and didn't exactly set the world on fire, but he is a quote-unquote dual-threat quarterback. Uh, he only hit 58% of his passes last year, and he did – start to get off the interception bandwagon that he'd been on early in the season. He threw six in a four-game span, but only two in the final final seven games. So he'll need to be more consistent, more accurate. Uh, Blake Mack is probably their best offensive prospect. As I mentioned, they have a couple running backs in in Wand and White, and their best offensive lineman is Leonard Bonner who is a guard and, you know, kind of a masher, which is, I guess, what you look for in guards. The best team of the player is, of course, the aforementioned Javon Roland-Jones. At 6'2 and about 244 pounds, he's sort of par for the course of defensive end at some point nowadays. Uh, he had 56 yep. tackles, 13 sacks, and 21 tackles for loss. Shows a decent array of moves, fairly quick. I'd love to see him get stronger, obviously, and love to see him contribute, you know, even on plays where the maybe the play is running away from him or it's, you know, a play where he's not getting a chance to sack the quarterback, see him always take the right shoulder or do the right thing, things like that. But I think this might be the year he puts it all together. Who are some of the, the guys at Arkansas State that have your eye or your attention? Uh, sure. Um, well, I think the only name that you didn't mention that kind of flashed a bit was uh, Dijon Pascal, uh, wide receiver. Um, he kind of stuck out a little bit. The quarterback situation is kind of yeah, but um, he's a guy that I think might might be able to develop into something this year, possibly. Um, you know, it's a big if, but it is a possibility. Of course, Blake Mack at tight end, I think, is a guy to follow as well. Javon Roland-Jones may get an NFLPA invite, may not. It just depends. Uh, 
with some oh, belt guys. He certainly deserves it. <laughs> yeah, but you just don't know. Like South Alabama and Randy Allen, right? You know, like, oh, yeah. He didn't get invited to really much of anything. And, um, that, that's the thing I don't really understand, Bill, is NFL teams have this thing in their mind of, like, this is the size of a player. Like, 237 pounds. Uh, like if, like if a pass rusher is like 235 pounds, 237 pounds, and they can't be a pass rusher, and yet you have guys like Clay Matthews, who is about 230-ish pounds, and Jerry Porter, who is about 230-ish pounds. Like, I'm just not quite understanding the um, the stigma against quote unquote light pass rushers um, at times. But um, I don't know. Von Miller was 237 at the senior bowl. Now he's bigger now. Right. And, of course, Cameron Wake as well. He was 230. Which I actually did a thing on Cameron Wake, and he pretty much looked exactly like Javon Curse, but a more productive Javon Curse. You know, he wasn't as athletic, but he did hit sort of the bare minimum. He was really explosive. Um, but, of course, he has to go to the CFL, take a bunch of steroids, and then come back to the NFL <laughs> before they – where they like them. Um, but who knows? Maybe he truly is natty. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's just commitment to the weight room. Maybe there's something in the Canadian water. But, um, yeah, I just don't understand the sort of uh, stigma against pastors that are under size, quote-unquote. Because I don't really think that – the data shows it. Like, you don't need to be – like, you're either, like, sure, if you're 225 pounds, yeah, that's a problem. If you're 235 pounds or 240 pounds, there's plenty of guys to point to that have been successful at that size or weight. It's just you have to be athletic and that size, you know, um, which is a totally different sort of discussion. But, yeah, I mean, I hope he gets invited. I also think Blaze Taylor at cornerback is another guy who's also kind of interesting in terms of what he brings to the table. Um, but, yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. My big question, of course, is the quarterback position there. I mean, Justin Hansen is not that great. I do agree the pen- the penalties were sort of a problem for them. But <clears throat> they have sort of a – I don't want to say Raider mentality, but for whatever reason they were, like, trying to be bullies or whatever. And they, they're kind of – maybe their coaching kind of got to them a little too much to where it all the penalties and stuff. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we'll see if they cut down on stuff like that. But it's a pretty solid team, and I think they have a shot possibly of being, you know, finishing as like the second or at least in the top, one of the top teams in the in the conference. I think it's very possible. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree. I think they have a chance to – I think my, – I'm, I'm picking them to finish third in the conference and probably be about an eight-win team. They could conceivably win two games more, or they could conceivably win two games less. But my, you know, my money, if I were if I were to bet on Sunbelt football, which I won't, but if I were, I would see them as being on an eight-win team. And as you noted, they have I think a couple of legitimate pro prospects. Um, they have a tackle that probably next year, because I'm assuming he's not going to come out early, 
but uh, he's a junior. Uh, Jamal Fontenot is probably their best offensive lineman, and he's 302 pounds. He's going to replace Jamar Clark at left tackle. I think he has a shot to be drafted in 2019. They don't play Appalachian State, which is kind of a bummer, but and they don't have to go to Idaho, which is, you know, not a fun trip. They have to face Georgia Southern on the road. They have to take on South Alabama on the road. But they have a chance to be undefeated in league play, at least, when they face uh, Troy December 2nd, which is their real measure stick game. Okay, and brings us to the final two, the penultimate, the the last two. Uh, that brings us to Troy and, of course, Appalachian State. As I mentioned, Troy is sort of my first, you know, my first being to notice the Sun Belt was the first program I noted. And for the longest time, they were known for pass rushers. Uh, they had in about a five- or six-year period, three pass rushers drafted, two early, obviously. We talked earlier about DeMarcus Square and Ocean Yermanera, and one um, kid whose name is – oh, I almost had it. Oh, Massaqua, um went somewhere in the middle rounds, I believe, <clears throat> a few years after Yermanera. But uh, not so much production there since in terms of, of pass rushers. They have – like so many teams in this conference, struggled to, to locate a pass rush, though some teams have, have done it. And for me, one of the things that separates Troy from some of the other programs, they, they have, I mean, they're not, they're not Alabama exactly, but they seem to have a decent amount of front, uh, front line size. Above average for some belt, at least, I guess, is really what I'm driving at. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, they'll need to establish the run, which is something they've usually done reasonably well as a program. So who are some of your favorite Troy Trojans and why? Well, the main guy... Actually, the only guy coming back anyways that I was pretty tickled with, I guess, if you could say that, uh, was Jordan Chun, that running back. Yep. Um, he's kind of like Michael Bush light, you know, um, you know, kind of a bigger back uh, and has a little bit of speed, has a little bit of power. Um, not the most shiftiest guy, I mean, He's big, but he's not he's, – I don't really think he's going to test amazing, even though he's big. But I do think that he's a guy that is interesting, you know, it's sort of maybe like a change of pace kind of back at the next level. I think there's some possibilities there if a guy like that. Okay. And they did lose both Antonio Garcia and Tyler Lasseter. Uh, There's a team that only had eight sacks allowed last season all year, so that's impressive. Uh, Former backup center, J.J. Gaston, is going to be tried on the right side. Kirk Kelly is going to go from being a backup to starting at left tackle. 
and we'll see how that works. Uh, their best pass rusher, Rashard Dillard's gone. All their starting linebackers have moved on. Six of their top eight tacklers altogether have moved on. Uh, Sam Levy, a senior who's played a little bit of linebacker at different spots at various points, is the only guy who's returning with any real experience. However, once again, for lovers of safety, uh, they do have a kid named Cameron Melton at – at corner, and they have some, at least some interesting flashes of, of good safety play to go with that. Uh, they do bring back Jamal Statham on their defensive line. Another guy who's once again made a couple flash plays, but you haven't really seen him stain it exactly. And then their other big question, of course, is Quarterback. Well, not question, question, but Brandon Silvers at times certainly played fairly well, but he did have a few too many interceptions with 12. Completed 64% of his passes, 3,180 yards, 23 touchdowns. They do bring back Emmanuel Robinson, DeAndre Douglas, and Tavares McCormick. So their three leading receivers from last year all do return. And then the guy that you know, once again, maybe because I have a soft spot for safety. But my favorite player on defense is Chris Witherspoon. I don't know if you checked him out. I can't recall the name, but I'll definitely go back and look. Rangy, you know, tallish, about six one and a half, two hundred and nine pounds or so. Uh, Fifty-two tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, eight pass breakups. I'd like to see him come down with one or two of those. Also can hit a little bit. Uh, the other guys worthy of mention, they have uh, Cameron Melton, their best corner. Uh, their other safety, Sidarius Rooker, is pretty good. And then their best defensive lineman is Jamal Statham. And they have a kid named Baron Poole who's not too shabby. They have a kid named Seth Calloway that I'm understanding they're going to move around in different parts of the defensive line. Sometimes he'll play in certain packages. On the interior, at about 253 pounds, <laughs> but most of the time, you know, those are special packages. Most of the time, he'll be lining up at uh, at defensive end and spelling the other two defensive ends, I guess. Uh, they're going to miss Rashad Dillard, I guess is really what. But all that is to say. Now, for them to have the kind of season I think they want, one is they need to to beat Arkansas State, which I think they will. Uh, though they did put up a clunker against them last year. I just don't see that happening two years in a row. And like I said, my guess is about eight wins. And last but the opposite of least, uh, I guess last but most, uh, we have Appalachian State, which despite being a relatively newcomer to, well, to the FCS, I mean to the FBS, uh, after having a really good run in FCS, now takes the big jump, big-ish jump, but made the biggest jump, I guess, to playing in the in the Sun Belt. So I guess it's a medium-sized jump, I guess, but 
playing in the Sun Belt and playing well in the Sun Belt, already having established that they are a contender and a threat. Uh, this year, next year, probably every year, as long as they're still in the conference. You know, they, I guess the ironic thing is, I guess, if they leave, it'll be because they've outgrown the conference, uh, if indeed they do end up going. They have a, a smart, you know, game manager-ish quarterback, but one that I like. They have at least one or two guys at every level of their offense and defense. I think have a legitimate shot to make an NFL roster. But uh, take me through the guys that you've noted, the Mountaineers, the Appalachian State, and, and who do you like and why? Uh, sure. Uh, well, starting with offense, I like the running back in Jalen Moore. I think he's um, you know, pretty solid uh, guy from last year. Uh, shade and meters at wide receiver is also kind of interesting. Um, on defense, Antonio Antonius Sims at uh, the end, or it's kind of more of a like a five tech sort of thing was also kind of interesting. Uh, Clifton Duck at cornerback, who's only a true sophomore, but he's pretty fun to watch. Um, really, really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, he was the guy that I, when I was watching the Tennessee game, he was kind of showing up everywhere. He was the best corner in that game. Sorry, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, A.J. Howard at safety is kind of interesting. Um, Eric Boggs has that kind of um, like Zach Thomas look, which isn't very popular in the NFL for whatever reason. But he's kind of like a sh- <laughs> yeah, the short, stocky linebacker type, you know, and kind right. of chunky. Yeah, right. that's kind of kind of what he gives up. But he's he's still solid. I mean, he's a guy I I, I hope gets a little bit stronger. Um, but uh, but I do think he's he's kind of interesting um, overall. But um, I think Appalachia has a lot of talent. Um, Taylor Lamb is – I'm not the biggest fan of Taylor Lamb. I will say that he is probably the best quarterback in the conference. So that's, like, the best sort of praise I can give, you know, is, like, out of all these quarterbacks, he's the best. But, I mean, it, just in terms of, you know, his ability to just game manage and stuff like that, I think he does – well in terms of that kind of capacity. And I think there's a lot of talent. Solid, classic coach's son, game manager quarterback. But, yeah, you know, he gets the job done. In a rather right. spectacular fashion, but he gets the job. Sure. I mean, you know, he, he gets the job done. But, um, you know, but I mean, I, I think Appalachia State is a good team. I, you know, they may have actually been to the campus last year um, just driving through in Boone, North Carolina. Um, and it's a pretty nice campus, a little nice little area, you know, near near a mountain kind of thing. Um, but um, I, think I, I think I went to like a, uh, like a fancy kind of restaurant. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting campus. Um, 
And I think the team in general, I mean, they've been interesting. They've consistently, at least every single year, there's, there's been a prospect here or there that has caught my eye. Um, and I think this year is not much different. I think they have a lot of talent there. And I think it's going to be inter- interesting to see what they do in the conference itself. They may not be the top team in the conference, but I do think that they might have the most sort of NFL prospects. I mean, that's kind of the best thing I can say about the team. Yeah, I, I'll be very surprised if they aren't playing in the conference championship game, whether they win or lose. I expect them to at least make it uh, to the to the championship game. Uh, yeah, and I I mean like Lamb slightly better than you do, but I I don't think he's an NFL starter, but he's a guy that I think deserves you know a look, and you know whether he ends up being a, a backup or whatever he ends up being. <laughs> I'd like to see him get a chance, I guess is all I'm saying. I think he's deserving. Right. You know, a camp. basically like James, you put respect on his name is what you're saying. I'm saying he should be invited to an NFL camp. That's what I'm saying. Uh, look at some of the quarterbacks who get invited to NFL camps. Philip Nelson, for the love of God, you know. Uh, 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 it's... Uh, God, uh, that darn. Well, Trevor Knight was yeah. playing in the preseason game. Right. That's a guy that, based on his play, I- I'm just being honest here. Just, just throwing it out here. Nothing on paper said Trevor Knight should be should be doing anything in a preseason game. Um, <laughs> I mean, he should be switching to a different position. Um, that's the real. Turn him into a wide receiver guy. Yeah. Well, he was smart enough not to be born Trevarius uh, Knight. You know, that was his right. Just very smart of him. <laughs> or 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 Trayvor Knight. You know, Trey with a a little flash. But yeah, I mean, I I just don't get it, Bill. But yeah, I I think I mean sure, I I, I get that, but I I don't know. Yeah, but I will. I will. I will be w- looking to see maybe if he gets a little stronger, maybe even improve. But as of now, like I said, he's a guy that I at least like to see get invited to a camp uh, before he ends up being a coach, which is probably what's going to happen. But with some of the people I see getting the chance to play quarterback, he he doesn't seem like he's worse than a lot of them. I guess is what I'm saying. I, I'm looking for a, a reason to to say he shouldn't be in a camp. But as you just noted, Trevor Knight is out there doing his thing in a preseason game on television. It's in front of God and everybody. So, 1 to 10, who do you think are the top 10 prospects in the conference? Or 10 to 1, or however you want to do it. Wow. Huh. Wow, that's that's actually a tougher question um, than I than I expected. Uh, you know, with Appalachian State, probably Jalen Moore, the cornerback, uh, Clifton Duck, uh, the Arkansas State. I'd probably 
uh, Javon Moore, Clifton, uh, not Clifton, but um, Blaze Taylor, uh, Larry Rose the third, you know, you know, from New Mexico State, um, Idaho would be the tight end that's there, and Blake Mack. I think. Akeem Coleman from Idaho, too, on defense. Okay. Um, I think I got seven so far. I think. Making good progress. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Chubb. Well, not Brandon Chubb. Jordan Chun. Jordan Chun, yeah. Close. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, I was just, you know, if he if he was playing edge rusher, he might look kind of like Bradley Chubb. Wouldn't be as, as athletic, but would probably look like him. Um, trying to think of the other teams in the conference. Um, Louisiana Lafayette. Any of the safeties? Any of the right, right. Uh, the safeties, and I guess the last two would be the safeties that are at. Um, That's cool. I don't know if it's Lafayette. Maybe it is Lafayette. Let me just double check. Because there are some good safeties in the conference. Yeah. Tracy. Um... Yeah, it would be. Travis Crawford and Tracy Walker. So I guess that, those would be the last two. So, hmm. To, to me, it's not a, a ton of guys. That's the only issue with the conference. To me, is uh, they, they do have prospects, but none of them like immediately go. Uh, like you have to check out this guy, if that makes any sense. Like if like middle of the season, I wouldn't be going. You know what, Bill? You have to check out a King Coleman. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't necessarily say it. he's a good prospect. You can't go to sleep without checking out Javon Roland Jones. I don't stop everything. Exactly. <laughs> hey, yeah, exactly. Um, that's the only sort of issue with the gun. Maybe Blake Mack. Maybe just because the tight end class I think is kind of weak, but people don't think so. But uh, I don't know. I get in debates with a lot of people about tight ends in general. Um, but maybe he might be like a guy I might actually say, "Oh, you need, you must check out this guy." Um, but it's it's really kind of tough. And the other issue that compounds it is just that this is a conference where there's very little draft Twitter exposure to it. Yeah. Like this is that type of conference where you have to like go out of your way to see. I, I hate to say that, but like it, it just feels that way that anybody who sees this team is going out of their way. They're going above and beyond their, their sort of duty as a draft Twitter person, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> to watch one of these teams, which I think is sad, but like it's, it just seems to be that way every year where you watch a prospect and people always go, why, you know, like it's, it's like the Antonio Garcia. It's like, 
why is nobody talking about Antonio Garcia, you know, during the season? I'm like, because nobody was watching him. Like, I don't have anybody to talk to about him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't have anybody to talk to uh, about this player. Thus, he doesn't get discussed, you know. Um, the conversation literally just becomes, uh, oh, yeah, you guys should check out so-and-so player. And then people go, okay. And then, you know, <laughs> and then they don't check them out. You know, for the <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, that, I think that's the only issue with, uh, with the comp- a lot of NFLPA guys, you know. Um, yes, they are. Uh, but, I do, but I do think Mac and I do think some of the Appalachian State guys as well may may get to, like, the Shrine game or something like that. I think those are probably the best case scenario for the, one of those guys to go to the Shrine game and stuff like that. But everybody else is just kind of um, up in the air about those other sort of uh, players and teams. Right. Yeah, I, I think that there's a couple of, you know, two or three guys with shot he's at the Shrine. If I'd love maybe for Mac to get a shot in the Senior Bowl. Unlikely, but I'd love to see it happen. Then you've got... I think you pretty much stock up the NFLPA and East-West Shrine between the safeties, various safeties that are in the conference. I think two or three of the running backs will end up at either East-West or the, maybe one might make the Shrine. Um, I'd like to see Lamb get a shot at NFLPA. I think he would probably show up well at the NFLPA. And he might, you know, get some love or leave some like. He's not the kind of guy that I think will ever get love, but I think he might get some like. I think he's the kind of guy that the staff will know how quickly he's picking everything up. Wow, he's really picking everything up quickly. Look how quickly he's picking everything up. You know, on his way to being an undrafted free agent somewhere, but uh, that's a guy I think deserves, you know, like I said, at least a, a look. Uh, Javon Roland Jones is a guy I think has an outside shot. Maybe maybe an outside shot. He maybe was a decent shot at East West Shrine. Uh, yeah, so those are probably Mac and and Roland Jones, probably the two guys with the best shots at going somewhere where someone might actually see them. Uh, in terms of the you know draft Twitter. Uh, the at the uh, Shrine game. Um, yeah. So what I will say is I think someday, Jim, you and I will look back on a couple of those players and say, hey, those guys are even better than we thought they'd be. Uh, I think because of what you said about people not exactly having the greatest of expectations when they throw on, you know, some of these schools and some of these players and things like that. There's a lot of pleasant surprise syndrome for some of these players down the road. I think some of these guys start to be pleasant surprises because, you know, there's not a there's no hype machine for any of these guys. No one's hyping up anybody in the in the conference, uh, unless you want to count, you know, the conference itself. I mean, if you check out some of that, sometimes the conference will try to hype them up. But 
for the most part, anybody outside of the actual schools, the conferences themselves, aren't hyping these kids up. Anything they get, they've usually earned it, sometimes more than earned it. So if they do get attention, it's usually well-deserved. And in a world where safety play is problematic throughout the NFL, I won't be shocked. I'll just put it that way. If a couple of safeties in that conference end up being guys that play in the NFL for a while, maybe not superstars, maybe not, you know, legendary, you know, whatever, but I could see some solid, like I said, hang around the league for a while type guys. So I'll throw your GM hat. If you had to draft at least one player on offense and one player on defense from the Sunbelt Conference, who would those two be for for your team, for the uh for the Raiders? Huh. Well, if it was defense, it would probably be Clifton Duck. Uh, from App State because we need uh, cornerback help. And we drafted Sean Smith late first round. Um, well, a replacement for Sean Smith um, who eerily had almost exactly the same metric profile as uh, Sean Smith coming up. Um, so I think cornerback would definitely be a thing. Offense, eh, what could... You know, the Raiders need tackles. I can't really think of any tackles that I'm super confident in in the conference. Um, so maybe Jalen Moore, you know, running back. Um, to get to bolster that sort of group uh, 100%, but that might be a thing. Or Blake Mack at tight end because, you know, our whole little uh, Miami tight end experience um, hasn't really uh, – Paid off, and of course, people are saying, "Oh, it's just a third rounder, James." Forget. Yeah, it's just a third rounder, James. You know, it's no big deal. Lighten up a bit, James. <laughs> now, you put a third rounder on a tight end that may not be the starter in a couple of years. Um. So, well, whatever. Lighten up, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think. I think Blake Mack might be that guy, too. So, offensively, it would be Blake Mack, and then defensively, it would probably be Clifton Duck at cornerback. Probably be my two picks for the Raiders. Yeah, I would I would make somewhat similar choices. I think I might go Javon Roland-Jones. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but – Still, somehow, the best, the most effective pass rusher for my Steelers is a man who is darn near 40 years of age. Uh, that's, that's not really good. I'd like no. to get a little younger in terms of that. Uh, someone who is not older than several members of the coaching staff. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Uh, yeah, when, <laughs> when you draft young people, 22-year-old, 23-year-old, and the 39-year-old man is you know, thirty-eight-year-old man is taking their job. That's not um, not ideal. Oh, it's not really what you're after. So, as much as I like Clifton, I really do love Clifton Duck. I really do love Clifton Duck. But 
we've got such a desperate need for someone who can get pressure. I think I'm going to go Javon Roman Jones, and then on offense, I think I'm going to go with uh, Blake Mack. We also have not really fixed the tight end position. Uh, I know people got all excited about um, what's his name last year. Notre Dame guy. Yes. Uh, who Generic. Looks, yes. Who looks the Notre part. Dame tight end? Yeah, looks the part. Doesn't play a part. He's long and he's tall and he's white and. Not obviously bad, but just not terribly good either. Um, I. Oh yeah, Jesse James. He's Jesse James. A, yeah. Yes, from Penn State. Penn right. State. Penn State tied in though. Uh, although to me, they kind of blur a bit in terms of Notre Dame and Penn State tied in. Yes, that's the way of way of putting it. Kind of a blur. Well, they're all, you know, they have, they're like six foot five or six foot six, long athletic sort of builds, not very fast. Nope. Not particularly powerful. They all run are not, and they all do 18 reps. They all right. jump 33 and a half inches. They're not bad. Not bad. But they're not necessarily good either. They're just sort of in between. Uh, what's the word? Mediocre? Is that That's the word? Yeah. Mediocre. You know, pretty much. That's that's the guy. That's him. That's our guy. So, even if we end up, you know, staying with him, I'd like to see him get a partner so that we can do some two tight endy things. And I think Blake Mack has the ability, if not to actually win the job outright, to at least add depth and productivity uh, to a position where we have not really gotten great productivity since, once again, he's went you know, on his merry way, leaving us without someone truly dependable at the position. But because, you know, once again, Jesse James has done just enough in a few occasional, you know, moments, there's a lot of hope still surrounding him, but I hope is not a plan. So I will go with Blake back, and I will go with... Uh, uh, Javon Roland Jones. So what what else have you been working on, Jim? What else is in the hopper for you? Well, a lot of stuff. Um Cleveland Browns stuff doing a video on Danny Shelton. Uh no tackle. Because believe it or not, Bill, he's almost identical to the production that Damon Harrison put up last year. Um in terms of I feel vindicated. <laughs> and Damon Harrison, by the way, is considered by most people to be the best no second in the NFL. At least, you know, that's the sort of, um, that's on the T, you know, they sell the T-shirts, you know, now with that sort of slogan on it. Uh, and I don't disagree with it per se. It's just that, you know, I was looking at Danny Shelton in terms of athleticism, looking at Danny Shelton in terms of production, and so far he looks to be a win. 
for them. Also looking at Corey Coleman, uh, doing a video on Kenny Vaccaro, Marcus Peters, Landon Collins, Reggie Bush, lots of Andre Johnson, Anquan Bolden. Tomorrow in particular, I'm going to have a video on Anquan Bolden and then another video on Blake Bortles. So it's going to be a double whamminess of, uh, of uh, stuff. So Blake Bortles coming out tomorrow, which is not good. Consensus. The data doesn't say good things about Blake Bortles. Bortles. Not good. Um, I, I'm not going to go that far, but it's not the best. Sort of situation, and then of course the Anquan Bolden. I'm doing Anquan Bolden because I'm sick and tired of. I'm doing a lot of unathletic wide receivers that were really good because I'm sick and tired of the sort of statement of oh well you need to be this all great all around athlete, and then they call these guys outliers, and yet their production is in line with multiple all pro types, and yet we just ignore them because well. You know, it was Anquan Bolden, you know, or the whole, oh, he ran 4-7, just like Anquan Bolden, you know, stuff like that, um, which I think is dumb. I just think the wide receiver position, that you could you could leave, you know, sure, if you are a great athlete at the wide receiver position, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, at any position. Nobody's at any, any position. Yeah. I'm just saying that if you're going to say that Anquan Bolden's an outlier, and yet I have data that says he's not an outlier, in the way you think he's an outlier, then I think there's a disconnect here. Because even in Quambon, even though he wasn't the most the fastest player ever, he was pretty good in terms of explosive lower body strength, you know, lower body um, power. And if you think about what he does best is breaking tackles and you know, you know what I'm saying, lower body strength stuff. <laughs> so I just think it's um, funny in terms of that. Um, I don't know. I just did a ton of. I did a Denver Broncos quarterback keys because uh, and it doesn't look too good for them nope um for the future because especially if trevor simeon wins the job mm. <laughs> uh, you know I, I i don't normally say this but like john elway sure a great player um probably one of the best quarterbacks i've ever seen on film yep um but uh as a gm he kind of fell into the right situation, I guess. I, you know, signed a lot of good free agents like Peyton Manning and Akeem Tlaib. And, um, you know, I, to me, his drafting has been kind of subpar. Um, and I think it's kind of catching up to them. But we'll see. But uh, that's that's another sort of thing. So tons of stuff on the Common Man Football uh, YouTube channel. And um, that's really better. Of course, you can also check out DraftCoverNetWordPress.com. When the season starts, I'll be posting most of my uh, film uh, grades there because that's kind of what I did last year. Um, So just kind of posting those there. Just as proof, if somebody says, oh, you're a data guy, you don't watch the film, Uh, you don't do this, you don't do that. Yeah, I do. I watch more prospects than you. You know, so um, I don't usually flex that too much, but I do try to um, watch the film just because I don't like that stereotype. And I don't think it's good to not watch the film. I think it's better just to watch the film first and then look at the data and then go back and watch the film. Like, that's pretty much what the process needs to be. I want everybody to be data, guys. I don't want to be the only one is all I'm trying to say. 
I think there's lots of benefits to being a data guy and film guy. But, uh, but yeah, so that's pretty much it in terms of future stuff. So. Right, and I am still locked in struggle with my article, but making headway. <laughs> oh, oh, and then the last thing. Oh, go ahead. This, 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 actually, this is actually going to be good. Um, before the season starts, I'm going back and collecting a ton of offensive data at the NFL level, ton of defensive data at the NFL level, and then I'm eventually going to do an all-metric decade team type of thing. Sweet. So, like, the 90s, the 2000s, the, you know, 80s, the 90s in terms of multiple positions. I'll probably run into an issue with defensive players at some point, obviously. But offensive players, I should be able to get, you know, pretty far back in terms of that. So right. I'll probably do some sort of article or video kind of doling out all that sort of stuff. It's going to take a while, but I figured I need to do it because it'll provide better context to the stuff I've already done at college stuff too. So I think that's kind of the main thing I want to do it. So Bring it on. Who knows? Maybe I will incorporate or co-write or something. We'll we'll talk more. But I'm excited by wherever that takes you. And I will share with you, you know, once I get close to what I'm doing, and then who knows? I might be able to quote you, or who knows? I'll figure something out. Something will be figured out. As always, Jim, it is a privilege, an honor, and a pleasure. I am so excited. We have, you know, it has begun. Admittedly, it was kind of fake football or whatever you want to use, but it is football. People put on pads, kicked the ball off, ran the ball, threw the ball. People got tackled. So it's enough. It's enough to get us started. We have finished off, unless I have somehow missed something, now the entire FBS level. We will do a combined FBS D2 show, and then we'll knock out D3 NAIA, and I will, I guess, sort of reveal my all-underappreciated team, which is, you know, not all small school guys. Uh, there's a few big school guys that are underappreciated, but obviously it's strongly flavored with small school guys. And then we'll have football, like actual college football after that. And that'll be great. So then we'll be able to talk about things that are happening, not things that might happen. Uh, yeah, things that actually happen or are about to happen. Yeah. So, I look forward to that. Uh, Jim, once again, I thank you so much for your time, for your attention, your talents. We will do this again in one week. And as always, it is a great, great pleasure, my friend. Have a great rest of this night.
helping the injured people. He is charged not with DUI. All six victims are expected to be okay. They call him the bad boy of pharmaceuticals for raising the price of an AIDS pill to $750. But today, Martin Shirley was found guilty of something else, defrauding hedge fund investors. Out of eight counts, he was guilty of three, and to him, that was a win. This is a witch hunt of epic proportions, and maybe they found one or two broomsticks, but at the end of the day, uh, we've been uh, acquitted of the most important charge. Still, Shirley could be sentenced up to 20 years in prison. The investigation of possible ties between the White House and Russia has entered a new phase. NBC News has confirmed that Special Counsel Robert Mueller has multiple grand juries working in Washington, D.C. and Virginia. The president's legal team says he is not under investigation. Now, NBC5 investigates. William Carter always insisted a crooked Chicago cop framed him. His conviction was eventually thrown out after he spent four years in prison. But now he wants the state to publicly declare his innocence. Here's NBC5's Bill Rogers. They just keep adding up. Ben Baker, Clarissa Glenn, Lionel White, Bruce Powell, and William Carter all exonerated after being arrested and charged in the hands of Sergeant Ronald Clark and his tactical team at the Icy World Housing Project on Chicago South Side. They are placed narcotics and cases on me that led me to lose time. Once one of his officers, Colin Muhammad, did time himself. Amid charges, his team has been shaking down and framing residents. But none of them have remembered the one team were ever charged. Former Officer Shannon Spaulding, who worked undercover trying to expose corruption in the unit, insisted the wrongdoing ran deep. Yeah, at one point, we were actually told that this investigation was too big. William Carter did four years in prison. Like the others, Carter insisted he was framed, and even the state agreed his conviction should be taught. I know a lot of guys. And that is the most troubling aspect of the scandal. The idea that possibly hundreds of others were railroaded by Watson members of his team, many of them still on the force today. Just about everybody who was arrested and convicted based on evidence gathered by, created by, fabricated by these officers has convictions that should stand. The exonerations in this case have been moving at a snail's pace. As we reported last month, in a virtually identical case of alleged police corruption in Philadelphia, there's a very different scenario. Over 900 cases have now been thrown out in that city, 158 of them in a single day. Bill Rutgers, NBC5. Thank you, Bill. If you've been outside, weather is relative. Wait, it's been cold, especially after yesterday. It's like a two seasons. Yeah. Today, hot and humid, warm and humid today. Tomorrow? Tomorrow is back to summer. Nice. So that's some good news. At least this cool blast was brief. Uh, the feel like October feeling is out of here by tomorrow. We are back to 80 degree temperatures uh, for some locations and then 70 for others. Here's a live look outside, though, right now. We did have the clearing skies as we went through the later portion of the evening. So temperatures are already falling to the 50s back across the Fox Valley. Can't you see? You're at 57 degrees. 58 right now in Romanoville, 59 in Gary, 62 though at O'Hare, and also 52 right now at Midway. Here's a look at our radar and satellite. Those foggy showers that we had earlier this afternoon and evening, gone. Could still see maybe a few sprinkles out there, but the thing is, uh, we'll stay dry through the overnight as most of the area is now cloud-free, and we stay 
that way as we start the day off on Saturday. So here's Saturday, 6 o'clock in the morning, mostly sunny skies for most areas. And then by the second half of the day tomorrow, we will see more clouds moving in. This is in all advance in a, our next weather system that will move in by Sunday afternoon. So at least we are dry for Saturday, the pick day of the weekend. Here's a look at your relative the forecast. Perhaps you have plans to head there or anywhere over the weekend. We're at 8 degrees on Saturday, mid to upper 70s, and then right around 76 degrees with a chance for storms on Sunday. Let's plan the day for Saturday by 12 o'clock, 76 degrees, 80 degrees by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Remember, most areas will be in the mid to upper 70s. Partly sunny skies by 3 o'clock, and then the clouds will start to increase by the second half of the day on Saturday, 74 degrees at 6, and a pleasant evening by Saturday night. Here's storm cast by Sunday. I did mention there's a chance for showers, perhaps an isolated storm. Sunday at noon, this is where we could see a few showers. The thinking is most, most areas will see just plain old rain. We could have an embedded thunderstorm within, but we're not looking at any severe weather for Sunday afternoon. Here's Monday morning, still seeing that chance for a few showers, mostly cloudy skies. And as we head into Monday afternoon, we'll see that chance for showers going uh, through the second half of the day as well. Tonight, low temperatures in the low 50s near the city, right around 60 degrees, with partly cloudy skies. Tomorrow, sunshine early, then the clouds will increase. We will see the temperatures ranging from the mid-70s to right around 80 degrees. Here's the extended forecast. The best day of the weekend is Saturday. Sunday will feature a chance for showers, 76 degrees. Then we're dry Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll have a chance for storms Thursday and Friday. And remember, anytime we do have storms in the area, Download the NBC5 Chicago app. Now, Alicia's weather photos. Do you see it? It's kind of camouflage moth. It's a luna moth. And the cool thing about these moths is uh, they look going in the week. No. That's really it. I guess it's not really cool. It's a short thing, yeah. Oh, look at this. Yeah, he's kind of camouflage, but he's like, hey, he could move. How's the weekend? And we're going to take a look at Mama Palooza real quick there tonight.